Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's a blast. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And there it goes. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling 25-20. Got a block for Brown. 15, 10, 5, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Trubisky's going to run it, and he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring, Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The player inside Crane Wood, too. He made it. He's got it. He's got it. He's got it. Blair has got it. Blair has got it. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With open phone lines for you, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood, or on Instagram, IGJHood, as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. Strong, trusted, First Midwest Bank. On the program tonight, we will hear from Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs, for ESPN.com. We'll hear from Jesse coming up at the bottom of the hour, getting his thoughts on the Cubs and their victory and sweep of the San Francisco Giants. So we'll have Jesse at the bottom. And it's a big show for us. We do this every year, a college football preview. We'll get a chance to talk about week zero, which is this weekend for college football. And then we move forward throughout the college football season. We'll hear from the likes of Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network, Chicago's own, a two-time Super Bowl champion. His thoughts about the Big Ten. We're going to hear from Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, a college football writer. His thoughts about uh, where it's going to happen with the national championship. Is it Clemson? Is it Alabama? Is it someone in the Big Ten? We'll hear from Adam Rittenberg. We'll hear from Trevor Maddich, who does a great job on college game day. Northwestern Wildcats color analyst Ted Albrecht and a lot more for our college football preview. It starts at 8 o'clock, an hour from now. So if you are a college football fan and you're looking forward to the season, trying to figure out from a gambling standpoint which way should you turn. Also, if you're just someone that just enjoys Saturdays like I do for college football, no other show on ESPN 1000 covers it like our show that we've done all summer. And so you'll be able to hear some college football experts talk about the season. And don't forget, if you are a college football fan, don't forget on August 31st, it'll be Chris Black, it'll be Adam Abdallah, and yours truly. We'll have Chicago's College Tailgate. It starts on the 31st of August, starting at noon. So we'll be able to go through week one of college football and also a special show on Labor Day. We'll be in for Waddle and Sylvie doing college football on that day as well. So make sure that you are locked in with us, especially if you're a college football fan or just a fan of the draft, right? You want to know what the next level is as far as the draft next year, what what your favorite NFL team is going to do. We will accentuate and talk a lot about um, some of the stars of tomorrow uh, because we talk a lot of college football, so we really talk about a lot of individual stars in college football. So don't forget, 
in our now college football conversation. But on the 31st of August, that's when it all starts, our second year doing Chicago's College Tailgate. Uh, Chris, Adam, and I do a great job and have a lot of fun being able to put that together for you every uh, Saturday throughout the fall right here on ESPN 1000. All right, let's start and talk a little bit about the Cubs, Davis. Let's talk a little Cubs because the Cubs, it's so funny. You look at Cubs baseball at Wrigley Field, and it's almost like night and day versus when they're on the road. I mean, the the one-loss record tells you all you need to know when the Cubs are 44 and 19 at the friendly confines. But when I'm watching the Cubs on the road, you see what I see, right? You see a team that seems disconnected, that just can't get their pitching together, where it just they, they seem like they haven't played with one another all season. And when you see them at home, things start to click. It doesn't matter if it's a crazy game like last night. It doesn't matter if it's a game in between or a one nothing really solid performance by the Cubs to sweep out the Giants. They just look like a completely different team at Wrigley Field. It took two hits, and it took one run, an RBI by Rizzo, who's come back to life here with a slash line of 290, 401, and 528. He's one for three with an RBI. That's all that Hendricks and the Cubs needed to be able to beat the Giants. Jeff Samarja was on the other side, and Samarja pitched well. Well enough to be able to win this ball game, but the Giants did not have any offense for him. As you look up and down that lineup, you had Rizzo and Hayward. Those are the two that had hits. Hayward was at the top of the lineup, by the way, uh, for the Cubs day. Hayward, Castellanos, Bryant. Then it was Rizzo, Baez, and Schwarber. i got to send a shout-out to Castellanos, though, because if you are a fan of this Cubs team, you got to be a fan of this guy coming to the Cubs and just injecting some life offensively to the team. Coming into t- today's game, Castellanos, a 392 average and a 1.214 OPS in his first three weeks. That is just a tremendous number for someone who just got to the ball club. He, he gets in that Cubs uniform, and he's been able to have it done on a multi-hit variety. That's how good he has been. No matter what you're looking at when he comes to the plate, you're looking for something special. I think that he's injected some new life into this Cubs team. Some thoughts from Joe Madden, the manager for the Cubs, as the Cubs sweep out the Giants at Wrigley Field. Well, both pitchers are really good. I mean, uh, our guy was outstanding. Great changeup today. His fastball was alive. and I, you know, But that wind, I don't even know how much that impacted the movement on his fastball. Uh, Samarja is just smart. He knows what he's doing out there. We he had us chasing more today than we have over the last couple days. Um, so both pitchers pitched extremely well, and we got one great swing by Rizzo, and you win the game. That's it. That's a because other than that, we did not really hit any many balls hard today. But neither did they. But um, it was one really good swing by Riz. I think Hendricks has like the second best home ERA now in baseball. Do you see a different Kyle on the mound presence, the way he goes about it, anything? Not really. Um, you know, towards the end where he was at 100 pitches, he got it to a 2-0 count. I think it was on belt maybe. Yeah, and then Victor went out and talked to him, and I told Victor what a great trip that was because I thought Kyle started getting quick. That's the only thing I saw differently today on the road. You know, for me, it's just like it's, it's uh, that perception, perception, what does it look like? He's probably very comfortable and familiar here when he looks in at the catcher. Uh, when you pitch on the road, it's a variable ballpark. So I, I don't. He's pitching some pretty high leverage moments. I don't know the Listen, there's so many things about this year that it's really hard to 
uh, evaluate or explain whether it's the road record, what we do here, the, our day record versus night on the road, blah, blah, blah. And like guys like him were outstanding and looks the same, exactly the same from the side um, on the road or at home. It's, it's just one of those years, man. You won five straight now, your longest winning streak since late April, early May. Okay. Is the way you're winning these games just as important as winning them flat out? Just you rely on the home run today. Yep. You got solid starting pitching. The whole thing came through late. Yeah, we've we've. I think we've been playing well. I mean, that's probably just like the term playing well. I mean, you're playing catch. Um, you're having decent at bats when it matters. The, the the pitching's been good. We've been playing well. Um, you know, getting those those. Uh, Tough wins on the road that, that have been very hard to come by and then come back home where we've been pretty darn good. Uh, it just uh, fits pretty well. But I, 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 whenever we show up at the ballpark on that day, I'm just looking for, looking for us to play well, play catch, fundamentally sound. Of course, you want your uh, pitchers to execute the, all that stuff. And I think we've been playing well. Even a couple games we lost on the road, we, we, not like we played poorly. Um, it's sustainable. The guys are getting that little vibe going on right now. And we win it. An unusual way, 12-11, then you win another unusual way, the extreme opposite, one nothing the next day, baseball. Just think of the jump, kind of what Ryan did coming into that situation, yeah. then they counter with the right, and he's still... Well, we knew that. I mean, I we that's what we were holding off on, because uh, once Kinsler got two quick outs, you could have brought him in for Crawford, but then you stood the chance of him having to pitch to two righties, and I liked the idea of... Um, 9-1 with Yastrzemski. So had we gotten through the batting order there, then vote, um, excuse me, uh, Wick would have started the ninth, obviously, even against Yastrzemski. But the way it played, it just required some patience. So we were patient. Um, Crawford hit that ball pretty good. There's days that's a home run, and it wasn't today. And then he comes in uh, when I went out to the mound. Um, I said, this could be Slater, even though it was vote. And we looked in, and there it was. But we also liked Kyle on Slater. So these, these are the things you discuss before you even uh, do anything, because uh, you know that's probably what uh, Boach was going to do. You mentioned all these variables, home road, all this. You're back to 11 over. That's your high watermark, 500. Does it feel like a slog? To oh, yeah. Get here. Oh, yeah. It has been underwater, throwing rights and lefts, just trying to, yeah, absolutely, it's been a slug. Um, it's been unusual. We, we seem to be getting there and over the top, because you want to go 5, 10, 15, 20, et cetera, over. And we just uh, been unable to sustain it. Uh, the road's gotten in our way. Literally, actually, it has. And we have to we have to continue this good play here. And then we're going to play a really tough team on the road next week. Uh, but I think our guys mentally are in a good place right now. Good team coming in. Uh, we'll get to see Davey. Um, but yeah, we we got to keep doing that. Uh, incre- increments by five. That's what you want to get done to really get where you want to be. So the thoughts there from Joe Madden as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, Indeed, the Cubs have had uh, such an up-and-down season, but guess what? They are a game ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in the National League Central, a very sluggish National League Central, by the way. And from a one-loss record, it's the worst division in baseball. But if you're the Cubs, as long as you can win the division or just be in the wild card hunt, whatever happens first, you want to be in the postseason. But the Cubs are a game ahead of St. Louis and four games ahead of Milwaukee, eight and a half over Cincinnati. And so there's really no analysis tonight for the Cubs. We're going to hear from Jesse more about what the Cubs are thinking at the bottom of the hour. But, I mean, it's Washington coming up for three on the weekend and then a red-hot Met team 
next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, then back home against Milwaukee. It's winnable for this Cubs team that they were able to get garner momentum, settle their bullpen, and be able to have timely hitting. It's as simple as that. It's baseball. There is no really deep thinking with this. It's Lester Quintana Hamels in the next three games against Washington. Cubs just have to be able to play well at home and figure it out on the road. It's as simple as that. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's switch over here to the Bears and some NFL. And before I get to the Bears, before I get to the Bears, this story just coming across the the Packers announced that they're going to sit 33 players tonight, including Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. The team didn't say why, but the reason's obvious, according to Pro Football Talk. It says that the Packers were expected to play their starters, but that was before the field conditions in Winnipeg became an issue. Yeah, so it's it's. It's the Packers and the Raiders in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, a CFL uh, stadium. And the Packers are going to play some starters, at least maybe for a few series. But there's a patch of temporary turf in the south end zone where the Canadian Football League goalpost normally sits. It's not stable. So the Packers TV broadcast said the field would be shortened to avoid that end zone. So it looks like an 80-yard field. On that CFL field. So the Raiders were already going to sit their key players. But now that it's an 80-yard field pretty much because of the field conditions, then this is what happens. Just just a mess. How about you just playing someplace in the United States with a uh, on a surface that you know that is good, right? If you, if you don't want it in Green Bay, you don't want it in Oakland, or find some place somewhere in the good old United States of America in which they can take care of a field and be ready. It shouldn't be on game day where the Raiders and Packers come out and all of a sudden, oh, we can't play on this field. It's just so primitive to me. It's so primitive. You're going to grow the game because it's because the NFL's hot in Winnipeg? It's crazy. I saw this story from The Athletic, theathletic.com, written by Sheil Kapadia. And the piece is entitled NFL Coach Confidence Scale. How should the 32 fan bases feel going into 2019? Boy, I swear, I cannot wait for actual football when the bell rings on September 5th. We really, I didn't, maybe I should have known this before, but boy, this summer has just been list season, hasn't it? List season. Quarterback tiers and the best defenses and all this. And the NFL players are as petty as the NBA players in some of these stories. I just can't wait for actual football. I, I, <laughs> I don't say that very often, but boy, this has been a very arduous summer when it comes to uh, actual storylines in the NFL. But I like this list, though, because we can always go back and forth and debate it, right? So, Sheila Kapadia writes this piece about 32 fan bases and uh, how they should feel in 2019. They go through the coaches, right? So, there's a, a category called the difference makers. Difference makers as coaches. And I, I think we don't have to debate this. Bill Belichick of the Patriots, Doug Peterson from the Eagles, Sean McVay from the Rams, Andy Reid from the Chiefs, Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, Frank Reich from the Colts. Now there's a category called feeling pretty, pretty good. Mike Tomlin is on that list. John Harbaugh is on that list. Ron Rivera and Matt Nagy is on this list with Anthony Lynn, Mike Zimmer, Dan Quinn from the Falcons, Sean McDermott from the Bills. So let me go back to Matt Nagy from the Bears because this is what caught my eye. The Bears went from 5-11 and with John Fox in 2017 to 12-4 and with Nagy in 2018. He brought offensive creativity with him from Kansas City and impressively built Chicago's scheme around Mitch Trubisky's strengths and weaknesses. Rather than leave last year 
uh, in that season-ending double doink behind him, Nagy has tried to use it as a motivator. Time will tell whether that's the right tactic. His goals in 2019 continue to develop Trubisky and avoid significant regression on defense. If one of those two things happen, the Bears have a good shot of getting back to the postseason. I think that's simply put, that if Trubisky's development is better and there's no regression on defense, there's no reason why the Bears cannot be in the postseason again. I don't, there might be slippage as far as one loss record is concerned. Maybe they're a 10-win ball club. Maybe they're 11-win. Who, who cares? I think that there will be a team that will be in the playoffs this upcoming season, especially if they're blessed with good health. But, you know, when I looked at this list, and there's other coaches, we can get into that later if time permits. But I was looking at the NFC North coaches. Here's something that you and I both know, but it needs to be said. Matt Nagy is the best offensive mind in the NFC North. Mike Zimmer of the Vikings, in the same piece, they said they've had a winning record in three of the past four seasons under Zimmer, but missed the playoffs during a tumultuous 2018 campaign. Zimmer is a brilliant defensive mind, but it's unclear whether or not he will find an adequate solution on the other side of the ball. That is true. I think offensively speaking, they're solid when they have um, Kubiak as an offensive coordinator, and they have a guy that they believe in and Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, but still it's defensive heavy. It's a strong defense. We know that, but if the Vikings don't get to where they want to be, even sniffing the Super Bowl, Zimmer might be out. Chicago's own Mike Zimmer might be out. Then there's Matt LaFleur, right? Perhaps no coach in the league has a higher variance in terms of potential outcomes in 2019. If LaFleur can work effectively with Aaron Rodgers and get the Packers back atop the NFC North, he'll be viewed as coach of the year. Could be. But then there's the guy with the pencil behind his ear, Matt Patricia. See, and here's why Nagy and the Bears shine. I gave you Zimmer, defensive guy, gave you LaFleur, who's the unknown, and I give you Matt Patricia. You know what Matt Patricia's idea of winning ball games is in 2019? The old school approach, um, defense, and run the football. For a Lions team that can't run the football and have not been able to run the football effectively since Barry Sanders had the Honolulu blue uniform on. Patricia was hired in part for his defensive expertise, but the Lions finished 27th in efficiency on that side of the ball last year. Now, I know it's a work in progress. There is no magic. I get that. But just the idea that if you have some nervous energy about the Bears this upcoming season, remember, there's a lot of positivity on that side for the Bears versus everyone else in the NFC North. Nagy has it as a head coach. He's got weapons. Now can that those weapons manifest itself to be atop the NFC? As we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Let's turn now to Matt Nagy, who had his press conference earlier today. A number of things stood out in his press conference. So, And we've talked about this a lot this summer, too. I, I feel personally that Mitch Trubisky should be able to survey the scene a little bit more when he takes the ball and not just panic if one of his receivers is covered. It's okay for him to be able to look and see if there's other receivers that are available. Because just tucking and running is not necessarily the recipe for a great offense over time. Um, because if defenses take that away from you, then what's your what's your other trick? If one receiver, say it's Allen Robinson, he's doubled, and you panic and you run with the football, well, won't defenses key in on you running 
yeah, his legs are good, but you don't know you know defenses are looking at this, right? Of course. So especially if you're a good defense. So some thoughts from Matt Nagy. Uh, the question was posed to him today: uh, Will Mitch run more or less this year? I don't have an exact answer for you. If it is more, I don't care. If it is less, I don't care. But we're just gonna we're telling him to just play football. Um, don't don't try to run more because now you don't become a great passer. Don't try to run less because now you you don't use your your strength, right? So just play. Whatever happens, happens. But when you do run, get out of bounds, get down. Don't take the extra hit. Nagy was also talking about how Trubisky's legs are still a huge weapon in the offense. I see that as a huge weapon, and other teams do too. So that, um, there's some coverages that teams, um, they can try to play, but if, if Mitch, I don't, I'll never take that away from him. We didn't do that. Coach Reed didn't do that with, uh, with Alex Smith. You know, he, he was sneaky athletic, and, and uh, so that's a weapon for us. If we don't use that weapon, we're foolish as coaches. So I want him to, to be able to use his legs when he can, and that's somebody else that they need to quote-unquote double. And now... The next question is, is taking the extra hits. And I think that's where we got to make sure we, we explain to him certain scenarios, uh, when to get down. He, he knows how to slide, so that's a positive. That's a start. Um, but he's, he has a good feel for that. So we want to we use his legs. Also, Nagy was talking about the receiver because remember when Trubisky first came on the scene, taking over from Mike Glennon, um, that Trubisky didn't have a lot to work with. And neither did Glennon, quite frankly. And, and so it, it failed. But you see this year the weapons that are on the table for Trubisky in the offense. It should be able to be more of a cohesive unit offensively. So the question to Nagy today was, can your system have a dominant wide receiver? I think it can, um, and, and that's where I think there's that, that idea of with, with it depends what teams are planning to do and how they see particular guys within our offense. So if it's something that they want to go ahead and try to take Allen away, by double teams and someone else is open somewhere else um, but if they decide they want to play one-on-one and do different things of that nature then we got to decide if that's something we want to attack but I like I like I like what he's doing right now what do you mean you think you can Davis what do you mean what do you what does he mean you think you what do you mean he was hedging his bet either you believe in your players or you believe in your system if your system is about diversity and getting the ball to several people then say that's what we do if you can have a dominant receiver in your system and get it to him 80, 90 times a year, then say that's what we're going to do. We have a dominant receiver. Maybe he doesn't believe he has a dominant receiver on the team. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's, yes, I think the answer, even if you don't believe it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been, they've been trumpeting the improvement of Robinson all summer long. You get a question like that, you say, you're darn right we can. That guy is Allen Robinson. That's why we went out and got him. Play, play the, give me the first 10 seconds of that cut again. Play it again. Can your, can your system have a dominant wide receiver? I think it can, um, and, and that's where I think there's that, that idea of with, with it depends what teams are planning to do and how they see particular guys within our offense. So if it's something that they want to go ahead no, and No, no, don't hedge. <laughs> don't, don't hedge. Yes, you have a dominant receiver. His name's Allen Robinson, or name somebody. <laughs> see now see here's what you do you take away the doubt from whoever asked that question right whoever asked the question in the press there in lake forest you say well have you seen our, our team yeah yeah can, can my system have a dominant receiver we do have dominant receivers we do have guys that can get it done even if you don't believe it yeah you, you got to pump that into the the locker room because they're listening too anyway so mitch trubisky <laughs> um a couple of things with trubisky 
one question was posed to him is that, hey, do you want to play this preseason? I mean, yeah, you want to play, but we get the opportunity in practice, and we know we only have to wait a couple more weeks, and it's going to fly by, and it'll be here before you know it. So uh, for us, it's just doing what we got to do every day in practice, uh, studying film, uh, keeping an eye on Green Bay, and make sure we're developing and helping the younger guys. Um, and, and Thursday night will come around soon enough. We're going to be ready for it, and, and until then, we're just putting in, putting in the work. But uh, sometimes it is boring, but, I mean, when you're at the game, you're watching it and you're supporting your brothers and you want to be there for them. So um, it's not really boring in that aspect, watching that, and then you just kind of become a fan of the game. But you try to get the mental reps as well and then stay locked in. But uh, it, it'll be here before you know it. So I know you guys are just as anxious as we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> We'd love to see him out there. Uh, the other question is, is, you know, it's a lot about the legs and about how Trubisky runs with the football. Uh, will your legs be just as important this year? I think I just want to use it when, it when it comes natural and play within the timing of this offense and get the ball to my playmakers. Um, but when things break down, definitely use my natural ability to extend plays with my legs, pick up first downs, or just extend plays that allow the receivers more time to get open. And um, I think it's definitely helped this offense, especially last year. So I just got to continue to utilize that, uh, make sure that the defense respects that, and uh, hopefully it opens up a lot of other guys uh, in the offense. So there's Mitch Trubisky, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, and uh, despite Nagy hedging on whether or not he has a dominant wide receiver, he is, to me, uh, the best offensive mind in the NFC North, and one of the best in the NFC, uh, just based on the amount of really quality teams they could have done offensively. Can the Bears be able to be better than they were last year offensively? Time will tell on that. Again, knocking on, the, on wood that it will blessed with good health as we always say but we will see what happens don't forget we have our college football preview if you're a college football fan make sure you stay by your list of advice at eight o'clock we will break down uh the possibilities and some players are around college football starting at the top of the hour uh but coming up next jesse rogers his thoughts uh, on the cubs the cubs sweep out the giants what's next for the cubs we find out next right here on uth you're listening to my man's and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right? Jay Hood. <laughs> on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. That's a one, two, three, two strikeout first for the professor. Strikeout number seven against no walks. That's the Right there on WGN Channel 9, the Cubs shut out the San Francisco Giants over at the friendly confines, sweeping out the Giants as they honor Bruce Bochy, the manager for the Giants today before the game. Glad you're with me. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll look into college football with our college football preview coming up at the top of the hour here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here's a man who covers the Cubs for ESPN and ESPN.com is Jesse Rogers. Follow him on Twitter at ESPN Shy Cubs. And Jesse joins us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hello, Jess. Hey, what's up, pal? How are you, pal? You good? Yeah, great. What a week. I mean, nice sweep, a five-game winning streak. And I think the best thing about it, to be honest, Jay Hood, is they're winning tight games, something they didn't do previously. Now, they need to take this on the road, obviously, but two of those games were in Pittsburgh. One was a, a 2 nothing close one, and then three tight ones against the Giants. You know, 5-3, 12-11, all cup wins. That's not something they were doing earlier in the season. I wrote about the bullpen today. I think the bullpen can be huge for them in September, let alone the starting staff. I mean, when you're not walking people, Jay Hood, 
good things are going to happen. Yeah, you might give up a few home runs as we saw Darvish, but come on, if you're not walking people, you're going to win some ball games, and that's what they're doing right now in the starting staff. It's about as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as you'll find, Jesse, because you see a confidence. There is a there's an extra step for the Cubs on the base pass. Uh, defensively, they seem solid. This is without even looking at metrics and numbers and all that. I'm just, from the eye test, just watching innings one through nine, Jess, it just seems like an entire, entirely different ball club. And when you're able to win the, the close game, only getting it done with two hits against Samarja, to be mm-hmm. able to come back like they did yesterday, I mean, that's that's uh, vintage Cubs when they were really good on and on top of their game. Yeah, it's a great point. And I, I, I you know... When they, if they had lost today 2-1, to one, uh, late, let's say, everybody would be blaming the offense. And I get that. Obviously, you get two hits and score one. But, you know, what? sometimes you do have to win one nothing. You get, I mean, the hitting is not an easy thing. And you're, you're at home. Okay, Samarja is a good pitcher. He's on a roll just like Hendricks. Sometimes you have to win a close, low-scoring game. Just like sometimes you have to win a close, high-scoring game. That's why I like this streak. They're doing it in different ways. They relied on the hitters yesterday. They relied on the pitchers today. And like I said, if they lost 2-1 late, everybody would be blaming the offense. No, you know what? It's a team game. Yeah, there were moments there, you know, in this year where, yeah, they didn't score a lot of runs, but the bullpen gave it up. As we know, their save percentage is awful. But now, at least in, in some moments like Sunday and yesterday, there's, they're adding on runs late. And then in other moments, the bullpen is coming up big, as they did Tuesday and Thursday. And even yesterday late, think about the, the last couple innings there. Kinsler and Kimbrell were pretty locked down, Cishek as well. So um, I'm, really, I'm really thinking this bullpen can be a strength after being such a weakness for four or five months. I think it could turn around. Jesse, without Castellanos and Wick in the second half, what are the Cubs? Because to me, those are the two MVPs of you know of new vintage for the Cubs that really stand out the most. Yeah, that is a great point. I mean, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are, especially Wick. I mean, uh, they've blown games even with him. So just think without him, what what would be in that bullpen while Kimbrel was down and, and Ciszek was down and Kinsler was down? He's been a godsend, um, maybe more so than Castellanos in a way. But Castellanos, obviously, unbelievable. Uh, just great. So they both had huge meeting. I mean, I don't call that luck. I mean, uh, good teams have young players emerge like Wick. Good teams trade for good players uh, in July, like the Houston Astros did with Verlander, like the Cubs have now done. You can include Quintana in that, the way he's pitching right now, but also with Castellanos. That's what good teams do. So to me, that's part of the baseball season. The baseball season is so interesting, Jay Hood. I think more so than the other sports. It's sports. It's almost and and and, and a baseball team. It's almost like a living organism. Like you know, it, it, there's ups and downs and you know things you can't predict and just it's it, there's there's the way it moves. The season moves and a team moves. I think diehard baseball fans enjoy that. The idea that Rowan Wick was unheard of right in in uh, February and March and mm-hmm. April and May for that matter, and now he's he's a mainstay. I know you can get. Guys come out of nowhere in other sports, but the way a baseball season develops and players develop, and look, who thought Al Moore would be in the minors and Bodie would be in the minors, right? There's so much unpredictability in baseball. Um, That's what I love about the sport, despite the fact that we kind of know who the good teams are and the rebuilding teams. I get all that. But within that knowledge, there's so much unpredictability. And 
who would have thought some of the things that have gone on with the Cubs this year? No, but your point is well made, Jesse. As we talked to Jesse Rogers with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, your point is well made because we played a, a good portion of the Joe Madden press conference from after the game. And one of the things he said was like, you know, this season has been like swimming, you know, swimming underwater or trying, you know, moving your arms underwater, just trying to figure out like where are we? it was like it's directionless because there's been so many ups and downs with this team. And I couldn't argue with him, Jesse. Like I'm listening to the press conference and he's right. This this season has been so strange and just in so just up and down. And it just kind of speaks to what baseball is. You you think, you know. Because people look at salaries, people look at all the numbers and all the advanced metrics, but you don't know. Like, who 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 knew that the Mets would be in it on August twenty second? You know, who, who knew that we'd be able to see some of these teams coming to the forefront? And who knew that the Cubs would be struggling like this? I mean, like this is this kind of how weird baseball is. Well, forty four nineteen at home, twenty five and thirty nine on the road. How is that predictable? It's yeah. not. It's just not. Now you can predict the Cubs would be good. You could say that, but you wouldn't know what to, to what degree and how they would do it, and and that's the beauty of it. What were the strengths of the team would be, and it, it's it's been at different times of the year. You know, some there's been a, a time where the offense was the strength of the team, other times the starting pitching. And to be honest, right now I like that bullpen. I keep harping on it. I wrote about it at ESPN.com, mm-hmm. but I like the fact that Joe Madden doesn't have to go to the same names every night. That is going to be huge down the. Oh, well, did we lose? I think we lost Jesse. We're gonna to try to get him, get him back on the program here. If we lost him for a moment, but yeah, I mean, to Jesse's point, and he talks about that column. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. Really, the Cubs bullpen could should be a strength down the stretch. The thing that has been the bugaboo, the question mark for the Cubs, uh, is something that could very well be the strength. I mentioned Rowan Wick. Man, if the Cubs don't have Wick in the mix, you know where is this team? Yeah, and I thought that there was a time here at the beginning of the second half that Brandon Kinsler, who had a pectoral issue here, when he wasn't utilized enough to, for me. Um, it, I talked to Jesse also earlier this summer about Craig Kimbrell, uh, and and Jesse, you talked about Kimbrell, and you said, well, maybe this isn't going to be the year for him. Well, maybe with this knee issue, and maybe if he comes back healthy, he could be able to be a force uh, down the stretch. But but who knows because of how un- unpredictable this season is. I had my doubts when we signed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Jesse's Jesse's got the. We'll we'll, we'll uh, thank Jesse for his time, Sean, because he's got a he's got the bad sell. But but absolutely, when you look at um, the, looking at this Cubs team and looking at uh, Rowan Wick, so and and to accentuate Jesse's point, talking about a 26 year old righty and Rowan Wick. And he came over the offseason at minor league deal with San, with San Diego. Where would the Cubs be without him? That's how strong that he has been uh, for this Cubs team. And, and just the up and down of, of Cubs baseball. Uh, as I mentioned before, I just think that some teams have the magic. Um, and I just think that the Cubs don't have that magic at this point in time, unless there's going to be something different. You look at the Edmund Flow Major League Baseball, right? And you look at the good teams, teams that will definitely be in the playoffs, like the Yankees in the American League, looking at the Minnesota Twins, who, uh, to me, we talk about teams coming out of nowhere. 
wasn't sure that the Twins would even be in the playoffs, but now they will be because Rocco Baldelli has got a good uh, team there. That team's been in first place a lot. Cleveland has underachieved, but I didn't think Minnesota would be up top, but that just shows you where we are with baseball in that regard. I, I knew that Houston would be good. Houston is where a lot of teams would love to be. You bottom out to over 100 losses, and you're away from the playoffs for a long time. And then you're able to get yourself in a position where you're always in the mix. Whether you win the World Series or not is, is one thing. But when you got a 181 uh, run differential, when you have been able to tear it up at home and the road, when you're able to take the extra base, doing the little things. I love watching Houston Astros baseball because even though they were in the National League for a long time and in the American League now, it seems like an American League, or rather like a National League ball club, uh, how they're able to do things, slugging their way through, also taking the extra base smart team when you see teams at bottom not like atlanta and trying to get back into the mix and be a good team again and and win be a perennial winner uh when it comes to winning divisions atlanta at 76 and 52 that team is just a far away the best in the east the dodgers to me outside of the cubs and the white Sox, i think the dodgers are the third team i've watched the most uh in the in baseball because even though that they've got their issues with some injuries and, and a question mark about the back end of their bullpen as well, they're still 84 and 44. They're going to win a hunt over 100 ball games, and they will be sustainable, I believe, in the playoffs this year. Maybe get to the World Series, who knows? But it, it, there's a difference between, say, the NBA, the NFL, where you expect the Patriots to be always around the the Larry the uh, the big trophy the um, Vince Lombardi Trophy, um, and Major League Baseball, where maybe it's the Yankees, but maybe it's not. And I think that that's good to be able to be as fluid as it is for Major League Baseball for certain markets to be able to be up top. If you're a Cubs fan, sure. The Cubs, to me, and I've said this many times, and I'm going to stick by it, the Cubs have their window open to me through 2021 because Theo Epstein's contract will be up at that point in time. And so I expect for the Cubs to be able to do what it needs to do, do their due diligence, spend the money they need to spend, be able to really identify the weaknesses on the ball club and be able to go for it. This is a team that's in first place, but here's here's the difference between this year and say, let's say five or, or 10 years ago, right? You can be in first place and Cub fans would take it like, yes, the Cubs are in first place. But you could feel how uneasy Cub fans are about this season because they see other teams like Atlanta and Washington, uh, St. Louis and Milwaukee around the National League Central, the Dodgers. When you start seeing these teams, you see the Cubs and you see how bad they've been on the road at 25 and 39. And you see that differential at 74 versus the Dodgers at 224. You say, well, wait, we're good, but we're not that good. And so you could tell that after you win a World Series or after you spend a certain amount of money, now you've got Boston Red Sox, Philadelphia Phillies, New York Yankees, New York Mets type of expectations on the team. It's not good enough anymore to just win the division. Now you want to be able to have, yes, sustained success, which is a rung run on the ladder, but you also want to be able to put yourself in a position where you can be in the World Series or around it, winning the World Series, winning the championship. This is what the Cubs have put themselves in. Once you win it, there is no room for underachievement. It's not like the White Sox, where they came out of nowhere and they win the World Series in 2005. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, you say, well, hey, we win in 2005, and then uh, in 2006, you have 90 wins and then 90 losses right afterwards. You want to be able to have sustained success uh, when it comes to uh, winning the World Series, when you want to be able to stay in the mix. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Don't forget, we'll have our college football preview coming up at the top of the hour. We'll get a chance to talk a, a lot about where we can look at the Big Ten. There's some thoughts from uh, Jim Harbaugh we got to get to as well. Harbaugh is talking really, really big, really big. Uh, but the thing is, is that you can talk big, just because Urban Meyer is no longer in the Big Ten doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win it all. So we'll get to Jim Harbaugh and more as we move forward here. Glad that you're with us here under the hood with Jonathan Hood. You're listening to Jonathan Hood. I'm all in my bag as hard as it gets. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You can see it on tape. He's showing up. He's playing fast. He's flying around. We're noticing it with our backs in the backfield. So uh, I think what it says about him is a guy that's dedicated and a guy that's taking care of his body. He's been in this league a little bit. And so these guys, as they get older, their knees start getting beat up. They're, they, you, sometimes you can get overweight. He, he's done the exact opposite. I mean, he's flashing on tape, and that's a great thing. As a leader, too, what a great mentor for a guy like Roquan. I think he just called Danny Trevathan a, uh, a flasher. Well, I'm glad he's flashing on tape. Send that to me. Uh, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We have our college football preview coming up at the top of the hour right here on ESPN 1000. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com. Tweet J Hood also on uh, on Instagram, IGJHood. Reminding you, we'll have our college football show. Chicago's College Tailgate. You could follow along at ESPN 1000 CCT. Jonathan Hood. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah will have that show for you at noon on the 31st of August. If you're a college football fan, it is a must-listen. Make sure you check in on the 31st for that right here on ESPN 1000, usually before a lot of Notre Dame football games, so we lead you into those games. Lewis Riddick, our NFL analyst, was talking about the defense. It's funny that Matt Nagy talks about Danny Trevathan and talks about uh, the defense for the Bears. Lewis Riddick... Uh, was talking about the difference in Fangio and Pagano. Now, of course, Vic Fangio is the defensive co- was the defensive coordinator for the Bears, now the head coach for the Denver Broncos. And now Chuck Pagano, the old Colts coach, is now in that spot as the D coordinator for the Bears. So Riddick talks about his expectations with the switch from Fangio to now Pagano. I think Vic is a different style, right? Vic, Vic is... I don't want to say bend but don't break, but Vic plays it very fundamental as far as lots of vision on the quarterback, lots of off coverage, lots of pattern reading, pattern matching zone concepts, meaning cover four, you know, quarter, quarter, or, or cover four or cover six, which is cover, which is quarters across the board or quarter, quarter, half, where you see the corners playing off. They're doing a lot of combination reading with the safeties as far as how to match patterns. And what that leads to is players who are, football smart and have a good feel for how to read these patterns and what the what the rules are on the defensive side, you get in position to make a lot of plays on the ball. With Chuck, I would assume that he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. There may be a little bit more five, six-man pressures. There may be more man-to-man, a little bit more man. So maybe there's not as many opportunities to get your hands on the football, but it's a lot more pressure-oriented, right. meaning we're going to take the fight to you. We're going to be right up in your face, right up, you know, just 
up on the line of scrimmage challenging you, challenging you at every turn. I mean, that's that could be a difference. That could be something that the players aren't necessarily accustomed to based on the fact of what they did last year, but at the same time could make them even better. Right. Could really just absolutely snuff offenses out and just blank them right off the bat and not have to necessarily rely on turnovers. So, I mean, there, there's many different things that they – that they could have to adjust to from a scheme standpoint and how Chuck's going to call the game. I mean, we don't know how Chuck's going to call the game in those crucial situations. Red zone, two-minute, fourth quarter, you know, end of half. There's just all kinds of things you just don't know until you get into the game with him. But here's the thing that you just have to remember with the Bears. They've got some damn good players, all right? I don't care what you do with Akeem Hicks. You put him on the nose, you put him in a three technique, you put him in a nine technique, he's going to be usually slap around the guy in front of him, okay? <laughs> it's just as simple as that. I don't care what you do with Khalil Mack. You can line him up in a two-point over the over the center. You can have him stand in a two-point and rush from a three, go outside and play in the two-point and rush from a traditional 34. Khalil Mack is a bad dude. Khalil Mack is a nightmare. That's not going to change. You know, Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith? It's probably gonna, he's going to look probably 10 times better than he did last year, which last year, he's pretty damn good. Kyle Fuller's a Pro Bowl corner. Ha-ha Clinton Dix is playing with one of his boys now. And Eddie Jackson, you've got some of the great safeties ever play this game saying that Eddie Jackson is the truth. Eddie Jackson is for real. This isn't, this isn't you know, I mean, Chuck's not going to all of a sudden have him out there doing stuff that's just ridiculous and makes no sense and they're just going to fall off. These guys are ballers. And they're, they're, they have a point to prove. They have a lot of pride. So thoughts there from Lewis Riddick uh, from ESPN talking about the switch from Fangio to Pagano. Should be interesting to see if there's going to be a, an adjustment that will be a detriment to the Bears' defense. Well, coming up, we'll hear from Howard Griffith, Chicago's own two-time Super Bowl champion for the Big Ten Network. His thoughts on the Big Ten and everything else in college football that's coming up next on UTH. Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000. 